this time I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. We've been looking at the life of Elijah for some time now, and this brings us to the end of Elijah's life on earth. We'll have one sermon on Elisha as he's overlapping with Elijah next week, and then a different sermon for Thomas and Rachel's baptism the following week, and that will be the last that I preach here for the upcoming time. We will, I will introduce the passage and then we will read it in two segments in a little bit. <clears throat> Do you ever play the what if game? What if? All kinds of uh, fun historical scenarios, especially uh, with people. You could play the, the premature death scenario. You know, what if, name your person, hadn't died so soon? How would history be different? Can you imagine how America might be different today if Abraham Lincoln had not been assassinated? How might the theological landscape of America have changed had not Jonathan Edwards died of the smallpox vaccine? Or what about our own denomination? What if J. Gresham Machen had not died of pneumonia out in the Dakotas? Getting even closer to home personally, it's been easy to say in my seminary, and some of the students have said, uh, what if, because there were two godly Old Testament professors who died fairly young, I believe in their 50s, and there has been, uh, it's been a couple of challenging decades for the seminary, for the Old Testament department, and, and people have said, what if they hadn't died? What if there were older, godly professors to mentor and study some of the younger professors who have acted, uh, we have some concerns about their belief? What if? Well, these are not just academic questions for the past. You can think about it for the present, too, in your life. What if God takes away that person who means so much to me, who's doing so much good? How will we go on? You know, whether take away means that person moves away or they go home to be with Jesus. It can be a scary thought when God moves someone from the church. What if God takes away that older sister who is discipling me? What if God takes away that pastor or elder who's leading the church or that, that couple who is just so rich in their gift of hospitality? What will we do? What will I do? Now, on the one hand, we know that God controls all things by his providence and, and we can trust him in bringing about the, the deaths of his people or moving those around in their lives as they move away. Yet humanly isn't understandable to feel those pangs of, of fear and worry when God takes those who he uses to bring you encouragement and discipleship and, and, and they carry God away. He carries them away. It's natural to see the holes and say, gulp. What now? The point of this passage in the sermon is that don't be afraid when saints leave because the Lord is active in every age. Don't be afraid when saints leave. The Lord is active in every age. Let's read the first eight verses of chapter 2 because this is all about someone leaving. 
Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elisha said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But but he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. As they were both standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. You can see here a quiet fear on the prophet's part. Elijah is leaving. He's leaving for good. Everybody knows about it. No one wants to talk about it. Elijah and Elisha know it, right? Elijah's saying, just, you know, just please stay here. And Elijah says, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm not, I'm just going to leave. I will not leave you. Three times Elijah says to Elisha, just stay here. Elisha says, not a chance. He knows it. The prophets know it. Some of these sons of the prophets, they come out from Bethel and Jericho. He says, do you know? Elisha effects says, yes, thank you very much for reminding me. Be quiet. Somehow all these prophets know that God is going to take Elijah to be with him. How they know this story doesn't say, but at this point it's common knowledge with the prophets. But no one, at least Elijah, can, Elisha can talk about it. It's like when a beloved family member is dying of cancer. You just don't want to go there. You don't want to have to talk about what it will be like when this person's gone. Right? It can be hard to even verbalize or come to grips with what is happening. And Elijah's departure is an event which leaves everyone in this odd place where they want to talk about it, but they are too torn to say anything, and so they're stuck. There's this angst, but it goes beyond sentimental reasons, although I'm sure that is there, especially for Elisha. He cares for Elijah, but there's a deeper reason why everyone is so concerned and so choked up. It's because Elijah has been this powerful force that God has used. Think about it. He's used him in ways to challenge kings, to to overthrow uh, false prophets, to, at least for a time, bring back the people of Israel who have not been faithful and, and back to recognizing and serving God. This is Elijah. 
And in fact, we'll see in a bit when Elijah leaves, Elisha calls out, my father and my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. It's possible Elisha is referring to the chariots of fire that we'll see, but it's more likely that Elisha is talking about Elijah himself. The king of Israel will say the exact same thing when Elisha dies, the chariots of horse, of, of, and horsemen of Israel, and there are no horses of fire, chariots of fire. It's just simply Elisha dies. And, and what this phrase shows, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, how important everyone thought Elijah was. They regarded him as an entire army, more valuable than a whole army of men. We'll see that Elijah is caught up in this storm. Let's look at the idea of a storm for a bit. Because when he's caught up in it, it shows that Yahweh is the true God. It's more than Baal, right? But uh, it shows that God is present in Elijah in a powerful way. We're going to hear about, read about this, this chariots and this whirlwind. Right? The whirlwind demonstrates God's presence. Think about other times in the Old Testament. Think about a time where God answers out of the whirlwind. Right? To Job. After Job has been making his case. And he comes as the creator God in all of his glory. This same word is used in Ezekiel 1 to demonstrate the presence of the Lord in this great throne room scene where he's presented in, a, in almost the form of a man with dazzling forms as his, his chariot, really. These wheels upon wheels. This incredible, powerful, glorious chariot. It can be talked about as a storm, this whirlwind, a storm that is used for God's judgment. Listen to this passage in Isaiah where God will talk about how he rescues Israel when they're under siege from their enemies. Isaiah 29.6. Listen to this idea of a whirlwind. You will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and with great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. There's that idea of storm and fire again, which symbolizes God's presence, either for protection or for judgment. And so when Elijah is, is carried off by this whirlwind, Accompanied by chariots of fire, he's showing how God has used him as a mighty warrior for Israel. God has worked through him. It's the power of God that's, that's been working and coursing through Elijah. And so now everyone is beside themselves and saying, what are we going to do now that when, when Elijah is gone? He confronted kings and brought down prophets. What can we do? It can be easy to feel the same way in our own church, can't it? I hear wonderful stories of, of old venerable saints of Faith Church, just spoken with much love and, and with sometimes a little bit of awe, right? You hear of, of the, the Garrisons, the Simmermans, the Elwells, the Mullins, and, and more. Beautiful stories about their service. God used them so wonderfully at Faith Church. For those of you who are here, though, as, as they were declining in vigor, and you could tell it was, about time for them to go be home with the Lord. You have in the back of your mind not only grief for them passing, but what are we going to do? They've done so much. Who will replace their service and their love and their prayers? But as the Lord takes away Elijah here, he's making a point. As commentator Dale Ralph Davis notes, 
leaders or, or, or godly saints are instruments, not saviors. God can use anyone in the church, but they are the willing tools of the one who accomplishes his purpose. They aren't the savior of the church. Right? That's what Jesus is. Humanly speaking, it's, it's natural to miss people who leave, and, and it's, it's natural to fear the loss of, of their creativity and their skills, but we've got to remember it's Jesus who builds his church. You can never value anyone so highly that you think the church can't go on without them. Or, or, or be afraid to feel a fear, of, I don't know, a pastor leaving for a year. Or love friends who the Lord's taken somewhere else or taken home. Whatever it is, remember Jesus builds the church. So the Lord was active in Elijah, which led to the fear of him leaving. We see also that the Lord is active in Elisha. Let's read some more starting at verse 9. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so for you. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elisha went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. But just before Elijah departs, he gives Elisha a, a request, a chance to make a request, and he says, a double portion of your spirit. I think the best thing, way to understand that is he was asking for the same type of anointing because in Israel, the firstborn would get a double portion of the inheritance. So if there were three sons, you know, the, the, the first son would get one half and the other two would get a quarter. And so what Elijah is really saying is give me the full measure of the inheritance. Give me the spirit that you have had. Let the same ministry that you had be also true for me. And God confirms this when Elisha sees Elijah taken up in the clouds. Notice not by the chariots of fire. He's actually taken up by the whirlwind in verse 11. And so Elisha takes up the cloak. And we, and we get a phrase from this, right? Passing the mantle or passing the cloak. And then he strikes the Jordan and the water is parted and he crosses over again the river. Now this, this is a fairly significant part of the passage, this double miracle of crossing the Jordan twice by parting it. What's the significance of this? Twice, in the same passage. It sounds a bit arbitrary, almost fanciful, like a story out of the Greek mythology. 
I'm making a point with some of my extra time while I'm overseas and even starting now to to branch out and read uh, a, a wider scope of literature, including some Greek classics. So while I was going through what we call the SRP and I was waiting to get my shots and get weighed and all that stuff, I, I was starting to read uh, Homer's Odyssey. It's a fairly wild ride and you, know, you just never know what's going to happen and what the gods are going to do. And it just it seems very fanciful. And it might seem like that on the surface. That's not what's happening here. The story is, first of all, not presented as a myth, but as God's plan. And there is a very definite purpose to what's happening. I'm, I'm indebted by an insight again, uh, Dale Ralph Davis. He says there's, there's multiple levels of significance on this crossing. And first of all, it's, it just serves the purpose of separating Elijah and Elisha from the prophets. He, Elijah parts the waters. They cross over, and now they can go on the other side, and they are by themselves, alone, as he's about to be taken up. But there's, there's another message that's going on here. When Elijah parts the water with his cloak, God's saying, I'm still with Israel. And when Elisha parts, comes back and parts the, the river, God's saying, I'm not only still with Israel, but I'm with my prophet Elisha. Think about the significance of parting of water. God parted the Red Sea as Israel's being delivered from Egypt with an army at their back ready to destroy them. And he parts the sea through Moses and they go through and their enemy is destroyed. And then God does something similar when the Jordan is at flood stage with Joshua. They part the Jordan and Israel walks over so that they can conquer the promised land that God's given him. Each time, it's a powerful symbol of God's presence and his might working for them. Well, fast forward to Elijah's time, where there's a lot of idolatry. It seems like the true worship of God is dead. Faithful Israel could easily think, well, you know, that that parting of the, the waters, that was all well and good for that Bronze Age time. But, but this is the Iron Age now. Right? This, that was then, this is now. We've got, we've got new tools, we've got new technologies, we've got new customs, we've got new enemies. Life is still, is so different. Can God still really be powerfully present in control? And when God's prophets cross the rivers by parting the waters, what he's saying is, yes, times may have changed. It's 500 years, perhaps, from the parting of the Red Sea to this time in Second Kings. That's a long time. But I am still God. And I am still in control. And I still fight for Israel. And can't we be in that same situation today? The message of Scripture from when our Lord dies is about 2,000 years old. And it seems that every decade or two, we double our technological capabilities. And because of that, our culture can continues to change at a rapid pace. What we can do naturally informs how we live and how we think. And, and everything is happening at the blink of an eye. You, you listen to some futurist guys like Elon Musk, and we may have people and humans on Mars in a decade or two, and, and we might be, able to, might be able to communicate directly through our brains if some kind of um, ether link to our head in a few decades or even sooner than that. And it could be so easy to say with all of this change so rapid, okay, yeah, God was active or God made sense in those previous periods. 
But can it be now? Can the God of the Bible still be present and active today? I, mean, I see those miracles in the Bronze Age, but what about now? Well, Elijah and Elisha show that God is active in any period, any age. He's not just conformed or con- he's confined to one place, the, the crossing of the Red Sea, the conquest of Canaan. Every age you see him working in different times, in different ways. I personally find great truth that, that God is still working through his prophets 500 years later because that means no matter how different or strange this new time might be, it's no different for God. God was with Elisha as he took on that mantle, as he once again parted the Red Sea, and in this case the Jordan rather, and, and he walked across to the prophets. And we have an even better truth now. God is with us. Go ahead, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 14. Because not only is God with Elijah, God is with Elisha, but our Lord is with us in his ascension. This is another time in Scripture where people get very nervous when their master is about to leave. Jesus is with his disciples after three years of earthly ministry, informing them and taking him through the process of serving with him and and learning and growing. And and he starts to talk openly about his death and his upcoming departure. And they're always quite nervous. They're usually denying it. Here in John 14, he's talking about it. And they're saying, this is Jesus. He's God's Messiah. He's, he's the provider of miracle. He's, he's the one who, who puts down the Pharisees in their place and he's leaving. And his disciples are worried. You can, you can see it as you listen to Thomas and Philip. Verse five, Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, how do we know where you are going? How can we know the way? Jesus talks about leaving. Verse eight, Philip says to him, Lord, just show us the Father. It's enough for us. Lord, just could you could you stay here? What does Jesus say to them? Verse twelve. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything. In my name, I will do it. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 26, but the Holy Spirit the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to me, send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus says the astounding thing that it is better that I leave for you. You will do greater things, not because they are necessarily side by side more impressive, but because God is working through you. He can work through anyone. Do incredible things. And of course, Jesus leaves and he's taken up into heaven. His disciples are understandably concerned. And, and perhaps a bit like the, the prophets in Elijah's time, they are just left standing there. They watch him go, mouths open, frozen solid. They don't know what to do. And the angels come. 
the book of Acts, chapter 1, they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And the Lord fulfills his promise. You see this in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. We might even say a whirlwind. And it was filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Do you notice any similarities here between Elijah and him being taken and the Spirit coming at Pentecost? There's this wind and there's this fire. And it shows God's presence with his people resting on them. And this is what you and I need to remember. That the same spirit that was on Elijah and was given to Elisha came and rested with God's people at Pentecost. Jesus says the same spirit lives in you. Think about that. He gives us the same spirit as these two prophets of old. The Spirit works in different ways in redemptive history. We don't call down fire, but the Spirit is still in the business of bringing dead hearts to life, kindling a passion for Jesus so that people experience Him and say that He is Lord. That's who we are in Christ. And this is the strong encouragement you and I have today if someone is going away. That God is still at work. Of course it's sad. Of course we're going to miss their presence. Of course we're going to miss their gifts and say, oh man, we, we, we yearn for that. We, we remember when they were here and we, we feel less. But we need to remember that it's not the person, it's the power at work the Spirit sends. And that means that God can and does use the humblest believer to do His will. And so for us today, when God sends or takes a saint away, don't be afraid. Rather, be in step with the Spirit. When, when you feel afraid or discouraged or depressed at, at the loss of, of a friend or a loved one, or someone moving away, your first step must be to reach out in faith and put on that armor that God has given to you. This week, these three weeks have been for me a, a very valuable time, a time where I, we have prepared well, we're getting ready to go. It, it's also a time where I have been able to care well for soldiers in some very specific ways, but also where it, it is obvious to me that it will not always be easy to talk about Jesus. There's just some cultural barriers. There's some barriers as a chaplain that, that I need to make sure I'm not walking through doors that I'm not supposed to. And as I do that, I realize I, I may just not have an opportunity here. And that's, that's disheartening sometimes. But there have been at least some instances where simply I've stepped back and I've stopped and I've prayed, Lord, bless this person work in their lives, no matter what they believe. Would you show them Jesus? Even at this moment, I don't feel like I have that opportunity or even the right to. 
And there is a time, even, even when you are discouraged or you see no way forward or, or, or you're battling some strong fatigue, that you can claim in faith the Spirit in order to obey, perhaps in order to carry on the torch, to step up into roles or, or positions that other brothers and sisters who God has called away, you can, you can now fill by His grace. Each day, put on the reality that you are a new creation. That you, like Elijah, have put on those new clothes. You have been clothed with something new. You put on Jesus. And so by faith, especially when you fear someone leaving and what that will mean, live out that reality. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear. But rather, we as sons and daughters can cry out, Oh, Father, Abba, Father, would you meet us where we're at? Would you send your spirit? Would you help us to be faithful where you've put us in this unique and difficult time? We place ourselves in your hands, eager to see what you will do because we hold Jesus accountable for his promise that he will do greater works in us. We rest on the fact that you are a God who does not lie or change your mind. So be glorified in us this week as we live out our life in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.